0: Welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we take a look at what is making headlines in the world of NHS IT. I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and I'm senior reporter here at Digital Health. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Digital Health Unplugged. Today, we're going to be taking a look at a side of digital transformation that often isn't the first thing we talk about, but is actually a really key factor to consider when implementing health technology, and that is the digital divide. I have absolutely no doubt that most of our listeners are very tech savvy and really willing to try new ways of accessing health and care. So it is also very easy for us to forget that there are often big groups of people who are left behind when technology becomes a way for us to access a service. And that's where the guests on today's podcast come in. As part of their work with the Good Things Foundation, they spent years working with NHS Digital on a widening digital participation programme, which aimed to identify why technology was out of reach for some groups and also how to fix it. So I'm very pleased to be able to introduce to you Helen Milner, the CEO of Good Things Foundation, Surya Walters, Digital Social Inclusion Outreach Manager at the Good Things Foundation, and Peter Nuckley, Deputy Director at M Habitat, a platform that co-designs inclusive health and care, who was previously with the Good Things Foundation on this programme. Thank you so much for joining us on Digital Health Unplugged today. Um, I hope I have done the introduction of this topic some justice, um, but I do think that you would be somewhat better at this, Helen. So if I could hand over to you to start with, to introduce Good Things Foundation and the work undertaken in this programme to widen digital participation, that would be a really great place to start.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I'd love to. Um, Uh, So digital inclusion is obviously incredibly close to our heart. It's our day job and something that we do every day. So Good Things Foundation is a digital and social inclusion charity. And we work right across the UK and also in Australia um, in the heart of communities, working with thousands of community partners up and down the country, um, supporting them to reach and engage um, digitally and socially excluded people um, and help them to learn how to use the Internet Um, to have a better life so obviously the last 12 months during the pandemic um, that work has changed slightly Uh, before the pandemic we're very much about digital skills we have a free online learning platform called learn my way Um, and as soon as the doors closed of what at the in the beginning was a face-to-face service uh, we then became aware that people needed devices and data as well as support to get online so that's another big part of what we do now Um, So widening digital participation was a six year program um, in two phases um, working with the NHS uh, because we and the NHS understood the huge overlap between digital and social exclusion. um, And that is that most of the people that experience digital and social exclusion are either older and or poorer. So obviously older, poorer people, too. And clearly we know that social exclusion is a driver of poor health outcomes. So uh, over those six years of widening digital participation, we helped over 650,000 people through our community partners. Um, So that's the breadth of what we did, but we also did some deep dive pathfinders that Pete and Saria will be great at actually talking about a bit later. Um, Through those over 650,000 people that we reached, um, we calculated that that saved the NHS over 91 million pounds. Um, in uh, reducing um, un- uh, reducing avoidable face to face contact, but of course it also had really deep impact. So, for example, our um, Pathfinder um, supporting people with long term conditions actually reduced um, unnecessary GP appointments by twenty five percent just over that short um, that that short um, Pathfinder. Coming out of um, wide digital participation, I think there are two main models. One is digital health literacy, and that's something that we did throughout the whole of the six years. Um, And that is our mass approach. So that's the kind of scaled approach that that we can do with our thousands of community partners. So that's saying helping people to be digitally included, helping people to get digital literacy. uh, It's once we get them on that journey, we can then support them to look at their digital health literacy. So that's both about them getting confidence and self efficacy so that they have the agency to be able to engage with health systems and health tools online, as well as helping them to do some of those very specific skills and transactions like how to do a repeat prescription. So that's a mass approach. And then the second approach is what we call digital health hubs. So that's um, something that we've now um, continued to do and Saria can t- tell you some more about that um, with a company called RB, which is digital health hubs ICs fundamentally about bonding and bridging the informal and the formal health systems. So a really great example of that is a dementia cafe is hugely supportive of people with dementia to help them with their health and wellbeing, but it's part of the informal health system, but actually the digital health hubs are helping those to bridge into the formal health system too. So there's so much that we've we've achieved uh, and obviously something that we're really, really excited about.
0: Yeah, that's an awful lot of work. Um, and also what stuck out to me there was obviously the money. Um, I think obviously saving money speaks volumes in the NHS. So I am going to come back to that one a little bit later. Um, but next I just wanted to ask Peter and Syria what were your roles in the programme? And uh, Surya, if you could also tell us what's going on with the digital hubs, that would be amazing.
2: Yeah, sure, thank you. Um, so currently I'm doing some insight gathering. Um, so in terms of the RB project, um, we're working with around 50 community partners, but I'm specifically working with um, five um, community partners that um, support the Black and Asian and minority ethnic groups. Um, and these centres are located in various regions. So there's one within Manchester, Sheffield, Bradford um, and Stoke-on-Trent. And exactly what Helen um referred to, it's about um capturing that that um key insight really into some of the barriers and the challenges that are experienced by those groups of people. Um and as uh, Helen also mentioned, COVID has really highlighted the inequalities um that are experienced by certain groups in terms of um, the access to health um, for minorities, the, uh, the stark statistics in terms of uh, rates of death with the COVID. Um, we know that like males are three times more uh, likely to have died with the COVID. So it was really important for us to get a, a real clear understanding of those kind of unique challenges. Um, And what's been fundamental is that these uh, community organisations, because they know the community that they're supporting and have that that informal relationship, um, they're able to really support um, people and offer that holistic care. And so they're really different in terms of how they um, are approaching the digital health access so some may um offer one to one support, um or it might be group sessions, um but it all it just all of them allow um people to really kind of understand um how to access health services so they they use learn my way, um and it's been really interesting in terms of um the insight that's come out from that sometimes we make the assumptions that, you know, if people are aware of a particular service um that they have like a full um understanding of how to use the service and that whole comprehension, but it just may mean that they're actually aware of it of its existence. Um, and so there's obviously the, the issues of the language barriers um, and, you know, when we're talking about refugees and asylum seekers, um, these families are living on very, very low incomes and have sometimes living in um temporary accommodation so there's many factors that are surrounding um, these groups so it's been a great opportunity um, as Helen said to really kind of get to understand what these challenges and barriers are.
0: Yeah that's really interesting and also so important that everyone has access to the health and care. Um, I think it's something that's very easy to forget when you do have access to technology you know all the time like you know we're using tech in our everyday lives it's easy to forget that there are groups of people that don't necessarily either have access to it or know how to access that so it's really impressive work that you're doing and also sounds very hard <laughs> i won't lie um, so peter i know you're no longer with good things foundation but you did work with them on this program um so what was your role
3: so i was um senior service designer for this program so my job was to um, I guess co-designed the pathfinders, so the really intense ones that Helen was talking about it was about twenty three ish, I think it was. Helen pathfinders in the end, something like that, where we spent a lot of time with um, excluded communities in the most deprived areas of England uh, to figure out ways that digital might be able to help them, out to engage them with digital. So that could have been the that was the homeless community in Hastings, the isolated people in Sunderland, and a raft of, of uh, people in between to hopefully build a bunch of models that we could pick up and put somewhere else so they could um, carry on that good work. I guess um, some of the things that I think I learned over them three years was the NHS. Well, first of all, what we've done in the NHS, now I'm part of it, I can say we, what we've done in the NHS is made a two-tier health system. So there's 9 million people, Helen correct me on the stats, but there's 9 million people who ain't got access to the internet. That's 9 million people who can't get good as good a healthcare as I can get as a privileged guy, right? That's that's outrageous. And then secondly, the NHS does do a bit of digital inclusion, but it comes across it's not digital inclusion like Helen and Serio are talking about, which is what's best for the individual. How do we let them thrive in a digital world? It's digital. Do the thing I want you to do. Inclusion. That's what the NHS does. It it says to people, we'll use this thing that I want you to use, like book your GP appointment online. Because this, the clinical commission group has told me to do that. And that's I'm not saying there's not value in doing that, but that's not the way to include people digitally. The way to include people digitally is go where they are in trusted places with trusted people. And that might not be health professionals, God forbid, but it's normally sort of community peers. Generally, that sort of thing. And talk to them about things that matter them because it might be their housing or their domestically abusive partner or their kids being expelled from school. It could be a whole raft of things. And they don't care about their diabetes today. They just care about surviving that day. And that's how we include them in. And that's why some of these models, I think, were so effective.
0: So let's talk about that money figure now, because that really stood out to me. Um, was it £91 million that this could save the NHS? Um, and let's be honest, when we talk about saving money in the NHS, that definitely pricks some ears. So can we talk a little bit about how that's going to save money and, and how we can see that maybe progressing in the future?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, actually, to be fair, we normally say at least 91 million pounds saved. Wow. Because that figure is only um about um unavoidable visits. So um I, I think it's really important when we're talking about digital inclusion and, and digital health is that we know that technology isn't going to replace human beings in the health system all of the time right so if you break your arm you've got to go to A&E and you've got to get a x-ray right <laughs> that you can't go on youtube and just yes. google how do <laughs> i you know fix my broken arm and i hope so not. <laughs> i think that yeah, exactly exactly so i think that's why um it, we're always kind of really really clear about it saying um unavoid- unavoidable visits so basically this was about um the way I think of it is shifting one step down. So instead of going to A&E, go to your GP. Instead of going to your GP, go to your pharmacy. Instead of going to your pharmacy, go online. Or actually, instead of going to A&E or your GP or the pharmacy, go online. Um, But it's also, so so actually that £91 million is just about the people that we supported with training and then uh, through our survey work, understanding how many of them then made, uh, then reduced their, visits to a and or reduce their visits to the GP. Um, and we then basically cut it in half to, because some of the numbers that, we were, that were coming out were so huge. Um, so, we, so we always took, if we had a range, we always took the bottom number, basically, so that we always made sure that it was as cautious as possible. So that $91 million is basically telling you that if you uh, support digitally excluded people to learn how to use the internet, and then to help them have that confidence and agency to then be able to use the internet in a way to help them um, with their health and their well-being. So this is not just about cure, it's also about prevention. Um, and then because they have that um, self-efficacy and they have that knowledge and they have those skills and the confidence, they then will go online to see actually if they can find um, help and solutions online without going um, and seeking face to face support clearly all of this so the the ironic thing about widening digital participation was it finished at the end of march 2020 so basically just just kind of i guess whatever that was a week or two after the uh, lockdown began and the pandemic was really exploding across the country um the widening digital participation program finished so all of those calculations are pre covid and um, so I imagine now with um, online consultations with texting people and asking them to you know text back a photo um, with um, you know doing online repeat prescriptions so that's just the transactional stuff right but you can obviously hear from all of us Andrea that we're completely passionate about this is about people-centered healthcare I hate Talk, calling people patients because you know when I'm talking to my GP, I don't feel like a patient. I feel like I'm a person, um, and actually, um, my health needs at that moment is just just one of my needs. Um, so, people-centered care, um, and that we we understand that well-being is so important for prevention, and prevention is so important to um, help us then look at cure when cure needs to be um, the solution for somebody. Um, so that number is the, the, the lower end of the range and it's just about um, uh, unavoidable face-to-face visits to pharmacies, GPs and A&E. Yeah,
0: and I imagine has probably gone up significantly since March last year, considering how much more we're using digital.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we we did some work with the Centre for Economic and Business Research on the um, economic benefit um for getting the whole country. So 100% digitally included nation. Um, and in 2018, the, uh, the benefit to Britain would be um, £21.9 billion. So yes, £21.9 billion. So this is for uh, everybody being able to use the internet and having um, the skills to do it. The net benefit was £21.9 billion. And we went back to CBR last year to say, actually, are you still happy with us using this figure because of COVID? You know, there's there's a different context. And they actually said, in fact, that number will have now gone up because we're so much more dependent on technology now that that benefit number will now be higher. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh, that's a lot of money. I can't even picture that much money. <laughs> um, so let's <laughs> let's talk about some of the findings now, because I know that there were some really good findings from this. Um, so I'll let you guys tell us sort of what were there any big surprises that came out of this program? And what were the things that you'd really like to see actioned in the NHS now that we know about them?
3: Um, so I guess uh, there's two things that I'd like to be actioned out of this. Um, the first thing is that digital inclusion in the way that we've done digital inclusion in this program needs to be more widespread. It can't just be little bits here and there um, about that one transaction. Um, It needs to be more widespread. It needs to be funded as well because the community partners we're talking about are trying to just keep the lights on at the moment. So you know it's been a tough year and we tend to lean on um, these community partners quite a lot. Really, they should be funded well. Um, And then the second thing is, and I guess this is kind of a bit of a theory, is as a controversial statement, if we take digital inclusion as, oh my God, there's the NHS, we forgot about 9 million people. We did all this stuff and we just forgot they didn't have it. Then we, what we should be doing is kind of inclusive digital transformation. So as we're designing stuff and as we're making services digital for all the benefits that they bring, we need to be bringing people with us at the front end, not doing a big program at the back end, which we still have to do because there's these 9 million people, but we should be going for every, I don't know, £100 you spend on digital transformation, put a tenor into inclusive digital transformation to make sure people are coming with us. Because I guess there's a service design adage that says, if you design for those who are most excluded, it'll work for everyone else. So we should just do that, I guess. And that was the that's the thing I, I want the health sector as a whole to take away, really.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so does that mean that in a sense, we're kind of going about digital inclusion in the wrong way. It sounds like we're thinking about it as an afterthought and suggesting that these digital tools are the way we should be going, but actually not thinking about who's going to be using them as a whole.
1: I think that's right. I, I, I think that, um, that that it's um, not understanding the whole journey as well. So that yes, the NHS might think of it as an afterthought, but actually that um, if we think about digitally excluded people who are 90% of digitally excluded people are also socially excluded people. Socially excluded people are much more likely to be um, users of the health service. They're much more likely to experience poor health outcomes. Um, so actually, if we think, you know, so I think the actions to come out of widening digital participation are at that macro level that government needs to um, needs to invest in and work in partnership with industry and the charity sector in closing the digital divide. You know, we want to fix the digital divide, because that will be good for the country's prosperity, it'll be good for levelling up, but it'll also be really good for the country's health. So I think that the NHS, I mean, obviously, you know, extraordinary year for the NHS, working incredibly hard on the front line, you know, saving thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people's lives. So, you know, this is not about saying the last 12 months has not been tough, but the NHS is a really important part and a really important voice, I would say, to say to government, we need this underpinning social infrastructure that we need, you know, like the online centres network that, from Good Things Foundation. We need. We need that. We need to close the digital divide. We need to understand that digital exclusion is a... social determinant of poor health right and actually the thing about digital inclusion is that it's something you can fix it so the nhs needs to be a voice saying up to number 10 downing street and saying to the treasury we need to invest to fix this let's fix the digital divide once and for all because we won't really be able to fix completely social exclusion or social mobility or 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 societal inequalities but actually digital exclusion we can provide people with devices and data and with skills and that will boost their confidence that will boost their health and well-being and that will improve people's health so I'm saying that if you think at the macro level then the NHS has a really big voice it's a really it you know it touches most of the population at some point during the year or definitely throughout people's lifetimes and so actually seeing that digital inclusion is something that is so important as a driver of improved health outcomes I think is a really really important thing that the NHS needs to needs to see that they've got a big and important voice in this.
2: And I would also add to uh, both uh, Pete's and Helen's point is the fact that with our online centres that are currently delivering digital health you know the atmosphere it's not just about being based in the community it's about uh, that holistic support that they're receiving um, and so in terms of the atmosphere that people are experiencing when they're going there the relationships are so crucial um, you know that the whole wider needs the housing comes into play the benefits come into play all those um factors that impact on people's health are addressed um, and so it, it's definitely about valuing the, the support that these community organisations are, are providing to individuals really in communities.
0: Hmm. So I guess this this might be the million dollar question here um, so sorry if you don't have the answers um, but what what do what do we need to be doing to fix this? Like what does the top level NHS policy need to be doing down to like local trusts? Are there little steps that you know individual organizations can take to ensure that
1: patients aren't left behind? Well, I would say the first thing that they need to do is, you know, obviously listen to your podcast and know that there's a problem, right? So, <laughs> I, you know, I, yes, I think I, I'm, I'm still surprised. Absolutely. I'm still surprised how many people I meet who go, what do you mean there's 9 million people who can't use the internet without support? You know, that that the scale of the problem is still so huge. So, you know, being aware that it's a problem and being aware that not everyone um, can use the internet, but also rather than saying, oh, therefore we need to always create another channel, which you know is fair enough that, that definitely there needs to be a channel to, to, to support the people um, who can't use the internet at the moment, but also to see that an investment in supporting people to get the devices and data and the, the support to develop those skills that they need will then actually bring them into being um, people or patients that can interact with them digitally. I think, though, it's important to understand your local ecosystem. So who around you, you know, on our on our website, there's a you know, you can find help near me, which which will basically tell you where the active um, online centers are around an individual um, trust, for example, or GP practice. Um, But though, also think about it at that you know macro level don't reinvent the wheel you know learn my way is a free online learning platform it's got great resources on there to help people learn how to use the internet but also learn how to use nhs services so um i think before people start designing their own local programs actually think about what else is there available that that you can tap into or, or people you can talk to about it as well
3: i think there's um There's an opportunity here that, like never before, and I know a thousand people have said this about COVID and things, but also the structure of the NHS is changing with integrated care systems. So uh, the NHS tends to hold the power from what I've seen in integrated care systems, but you do have councils and there you do have third sector organisations. You have a raft of organisations there, and it's rising up the agenda. It's not as high as it should be, but it's rising up there. And the one thing that the NHS can learn, I think from councils actually as well as Third sector organizations is about this holistic approach. So councils are a bit better at digital inclusion than the NHS organizations are. And that's because councils collect your bins, do social care, have a number of routes to you, and have a, a more of a relationship in that way. Whereas the NHS, for the right reasons, only cares about my type 2 diabetes, obviously. Oh, I haven't got that, but you know what I mean. Or only cares about atrial fibrillation because that's what I'm here to solve today. So, it means it's very narrow when it asks people about stuff. So, I think there is an opportunity to move things over. But the thing that we, I think the way I would put it is it's only political will that's stopping us. And I don't mean that in like a massive, you know, macro political way. I mean, we can do this stuff because it's been done If for 600 odd thousand people, wherever Helen mentioned before. But I think what COVID has showed us is when we went through the widened digital participation program, we had four five thousand community centers that have free access to the internet that just went for 12 months that's been gone almost all of you know if to a large extent that's been gone so data and and devices are important they cost so we're just talking about a lot of this problem is down to people who have no money or very little money and it's I've, I've been saying I've been saying this to the NHS recently that it sort of breaks up quite a bit of a contract that the NHS has with society that it's free. NHS.UK is about as free as it is free to walk on the moon. So I can walk on the moon for free, but I need to buy a rocket and I need to know how to drive a rocket to get to the moon. And that's the same if you're digitally excluded. You You need a phone or a device or whatever, and you need some access to the internet, and you need to know how to use it safely and securely. So it's not free at all. It's only us who get paid half-decent wages, who it's free to, in inverted commas. Um, so I think that was It's just my way of saying, as it gets higher up the agenda, it's it's political will now that's stopping us. Um, and I think that's shifting. And I think that's good. But we need to back it up with a checkbook, I think.
0: That is potentially the best analogy I've ever heard. Um, and I will be using that again. So <laughs> I will credit you, I promise. Um, so... i guess this leads me to ask um whether this should be driven from a more local approach as opposed to a national approach because obviously different communities have very different people in them you know you've got very affluent communities and then there are communities that have a lower socioeconomic background so does that mean that local nhs organizations
1: should be the driving force of this i think it has to be both um because I think without a national approach and without a national ambition, um, then there will be too much reinventing of the wheel. And 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 back to back to the pound sign, you know, there's an economy of scale by doing this nationally. So nationally, like. In, Obviously, we, we um, have the online centers network. So working with thousands of community organizations who uh, about 1,600 are actually active during COVID peak. So there's quite a number of them are, are still active. Um, and that, um, that having, you know, w- we will have supported by Easter about 20,000 people with devices and data. Um, so again, you know, doing that at scale, um, but being able to to give that out in a you know a very streamlined approach, purchasing powers of of buying devices in in, in bulk, um, but then at that local approach, you're absolutely right. You've got very different types of communities, and in those communities, they'll have different health needs. But also back to Pete's point about councils, you have different ecosystems, you have different types of charities, you have different priorities, um, and and, and we've always said that embedding digital inclusion. In, in in that in that ecosystem and in what you're doing anyway. So on, I talk about online centres, but they're not high street computer training places. You know, they're a community centre. They're a small local charity helping people to get work. They're a community cafe. There's a fish and chip shop in Stockport. So they're local places who see that digital inclusion is important for them to embed that in their strategy. And I think Um, understanding that local ecosystem is really important as well. So it's not one or the other. I think it should be both.
0: Uh, Surya, I'm very aware that you haven't had a chance to say much for a while. So is there anything you'd like to add?
2: Yeah, no, I'm just completely agreeing to what Helen was saying, really, because, I mean, in order for there to be... um, sort of local uh buying there has to be that national support and um, because what we're talking about is a change of culture you know it's it's the medical model the social model and and making it work, and, and um giving practitioners and community services the tools and the confidence really to work together and and really igniting that kind of innovative working uh relationship so one of the online centres that I'm currently in gathering from, um, they've had some third year medical students on placement. And it's been really fascinating um, to kind of watch them and, and their perspective of what, you know, how community um delivery should be provided um, and they and I asked them you know what was their experience when they've been studying about engaging the BAME community Um, and some of them had touched on um, you know addressing like specific needs like diabetes but when it comes down to like understanding uh, communities and, and whether it be BAME or not there seems to be that division, you know, and um, I was speaking to one um, student and they'd said that they'd, it made them really kind of reflect on how, not only how they will communicate with pe- the patients in the future, um, but the more aware of the bar- the barriers and the challenges, um, the more aware of the fact that, um you know, our medical system is quite complicated and quite complex. Um, and there isn't anyone really other than our community organisations that, you know, are, are giving people that time to really understand and and be aware of like the services that they're trying to access. So, um, you know, Learn My Way has been really sort of crucial in that respect because it's allowed learners to understand the medical system. I mean what's the difference between a a GP and a consultant? Um, you know, why are certain medications being prescribed? Um, there's different medical licenses laws, you know, across the world and and just you know, for community organisations to be able to, as we keep saying, provide that holistic care and offer that ed- informal education is is so important. And you know the the health service won't know that until they they take that leap and engage with community organisations and and meet these people. Um. So, it, you know, there's so much that's coming out from our research with this that, um, you know, it will be just such a, a great way to kind of use it as a building block to, you know, really tear down some of these barriers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's a minefield, the NHS. I, mean, I write about it daily and I'm still not entirely sure what I'm doing when I'm accessing services. And I think I'm fairly clued up on it and the technology. So... I can imagine that it's really quite difficult for people that don't necessarily understand how it works. Um, so what are the next steps for this programme? You've spoken about all of the incredible things that you've achieved. Um, what's the next steps? What are you hoping that the NHS will take on board from this?
2: So with my work, I'm focusing on creating a guide um, and capturing some of the best practices and um, recommendations, all the insights uh, and using that to not only um help support the network our online census network and those people that are also delivering uh digital health um but also to be shared with with the nhs as well and hopefully from that you know um there will be recommendations that will be picked
1: up so the nhs um and the Department for Health and Social Care needs to see themselves as part of a government movement for digital inclusion. So I think unless we fix the digital divide, we won't really have the step change that we need um, to, to really help people who are on that wrong side of the digital divide. Um, so I, I think the NHS should see that it's an important part of that movement with other government departments. So to, you know, not sit back and benefit from that, but actually to be at the forefront to, to push for that. Um, And then I I think that, um, I mean, clearly, we've got our digital health hub program that's currently funded through RB, and we want to promote that um, and to extend that if we can, Um, learning a a lot through COVID about supporting people remotely, um, supporting people with devices and data, as well as with that really important support and digital literacy um and so you know we're we're looking um for funding to extend that and so that's so hopefully that we'll be able to do it i think the other thing that the it would be great for the nhs to do is to absolutely recognize this huge it's you know it's like an iceberg if you think the nhs is the top of the iceberg that under the water there's this huge um uh, work going on by the community sector by the what i call the informal health service um and I think sometimes it is is um, quite invisible to the NHS and or the NHS takes it for granted. There's obviously many, 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 many notable exceptions. And I think throughout Wilding Digital Participation, we have really worked with some exceptional um, health practitioners. So, you know, people in the formal health service who have, you know, have really helped and really um, wanted to work closely with the community, be it GPs or be it you know the um cancer screening people at Stoke on Trent or um or hospital staff you know that we've definitely had a lot of people um uh, from the health service individuals incredibly invested in making sure that um digital and health exclusion is something that that can be eradicated um i guess
3: <clears throat> what what would i like to happen i guess uh, the first thing i'd like to happen is one day We don't have to use the word digital no more because i think that just sets it up like there's two tiers to this and really we're talking about services eventually we do have to do digital inclusion but eventually we'll all kind of realize it's just a service that we're looking at whether it's physical or digital or anything else that comes along and i think i'm just wrapping up a piece of work at i habitat now where we were talking to a lot of the integrated care systems about what their plans are for digital inclusion and almost all of them said, we need advice from the center. So whether it's funding or advice, they look towards the center, even if down the road did something really good, they look towards the center. So we need the center, whatever that is, to be a big voice in this. And it's a big player. it's got a lot of weight to it. And then when we were talking about the center versus kind of local, the things that we know from widening digital participation is if you have trusted places with trusted people and you times that by what matters to me as a person, and then you just do digital as incidental because you're solving that person's problems it works so you don't need to have so your blueprints don't need to be overly kind of in depth because then you can put that local flavour on you can make it about um diabetes in a particular ward or about whatever you want in other words but if you have them three ingredients it works and i think in the nhs we just need to be grown up enough to say maybe it's not always a health practitioner who's the most trusted person to do that inclusive bit um, and we've got these community organisations, and we, you know, we might have a mental health nurse who's the right person. But as long as they're doing them three things, it sort of works. So we've got the blueprint. So we just need to get on with doing it, I
2: guess.
0: Well, hopefully, some people in the centre are listening to this podcast and can start making those decisions. Um, so we are. We have very quickly run out of time. So just to wrap it up, I'm going to ask you all um, if you wouldn't mind just providing one piece of advice that you'd like our listeners to take away from this podcast. Um, Helen, I'll start with you first
1: remember that there are nine million people who are digitally excluded and um, so that means currently they won't be able to use any of your digital services without support but that doesn't mean that they have to stay digitally excluded so uh, uh, definitely whoever's listening you can have a role be it locally be it nationally be it within your local community setting um to close that digital divide even if it's just for one person um, or it's for 9 million people, then I think everyone should acknowledge that it's there and acknowledge that they've all got a role to play to close that digital divide.
2: Um, can, I, can I sneakily have two? Um, the first one would be definitely, as I said before, um, you know, awareness of a health service doesn't mean full comprehension, understanding and confidence of how to access that service. Um, and just to remember that there's many community organizations um, out there that are actually providing that um, early intervention support that actually help to reduce um, a lot of medical conditions and just the need for better collaboration and support between the health services and the community services. Um,
3: my bit of advice is I guess that if we do co-design properly, that can help a lot of this stuff with digital transformation within the health sector um, because it gets the right people involved. And then the one action I'd like people to take tomorrow when they start work again, if you're involved in anything digital within the health sector, is to take half a day to have a think about who is excluded from your service that you're creating. Put them up on a wall, put that picture up on a wall, and then at least you haven't accidentally forgot them. Now you have to make a decision to leave them out And that's kind of, that's a lot harder to do. You know, they exist. Now, Helen's told us the stats. We know they exist. So now put them up on a wall and see if you can include them in. That'd be my
0: advice. Mm. Well, that's all really, really good advice. And I hope that our listeners can take that on board um, and also brings this episode of Digital Health Unplugged to a nice close. Uh, So Helen, Saria and Peter, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your work. It was really, really interesting. And of course, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, so please do give us a follow on any of those platforms to keep up to date with what we're doing. And if you've got a podcast suggestion, we're really keen to hear from you. You can get in touch on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode. We will catch you in two weeks' time. You've been listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more episodes or to keep up to date with what Digital Health Unplugged is doing, you can give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favourite podcast channel. If you want to know more about digital health, our news and events, you can head on over to digitalhealth.net.